I was uh, standing out in the lobby as uh, before we got started, and folks walking in all dressed in their Christmas best, and smiles on their faces, shaking hands, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, all of that, and it, it is a Merry Christmas, but I couldn't help but wonder, as we approach the conclusion of 2016, what's going on in our heads as we consider the end of this year? I think we would all say, some of us perhaps had good years, some of us perhaps had not as good years. But for all of us, maybe it was a long year, a rough year, a trying year, whether that be personally, professionally, nationally, globally, whatever you would say, you might would say, you know, yeah, 2016 has been kind of rough. I'm looking forward to turning the page, doing a little Taylor Swift, shaking it off and going into 2017. Some of you, though... The idea of pondering a rough 2016 or a hard 2016 is uh, foreign to you. It's Christmas. This is your time to shine. You are the kind of person who you put the Christmas tree up around Labor Day. Once Starbucks starts serving those holiday drinks and the holiday flavors, you're there six or eight, maybe even ten times a day getting your fill. You haven't slept since Halloween, fueled on Starbucks and coffee and the greatest Christmas music you can find. After Thanksgiving, you start wearing Christmas sweaters every single day. You listen to Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, all the great Christmas hits. You watch the same 25 Christmas movies every year. You go full on Griswold with the Christmas lights. In fact, this is your time to shine And show everybody how much you enjoy Christmas. Others of you, you try. You really try. But sometimes it's just not your year. Sometimes it's just not your Christmas. You do your best, but you've been working hard. Putting in long hours at the office. Struggling, stressed with who knows what. Maybe... Some of you are busy with school and Christmas has snuck up on you. You didn't realize it was this quick, this soon. And yeah, 2016 has been a rough year for you. So you look your spouse in the eye and say, honey, Christmas lights this year, just not, they're not going to happen. You've got those Christmas cards printed, or maybe you have an idea for the Christmas cards in your head, and your goal is to get them in the mail by February. That's reasonable. But hey, maybe even if you're in that camp, 2016 has been a little difficult for you. Maybe, maybe just maybe, over the last couple of days, you've slowly, unbeknownst to those around you, you've slowly started to get in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, just a little bit. You, tune, you, you hum a little tune as you're driving around, wrapping up some Christmas shopping, you have one of those nice little flavored drinks from Starbucks, and so yeah, that helps me get in the spirit, carrying that thing around. You watch a Christmas movie, and, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe those fires are just starting to be lit within you to get in the Christmas spirit, to put 2016 behind you, and then you make that fatal mistake. You try to do your shopping, you go to Derby Street, 
and you take forever to find a parking spot, and all Christmas spirit is gone. You're throwing things at the guy that stole the parking spot from you. You're thinking things that do not ring forth with the Christmas spirit. And that's okay, because hey, it's 2016, and as best you've resolved, you get a free pass this year. Well, our text for our time together today is found in Micah chapter 5, the Old Testament prophet Micah. If you want to look in the Pew Bible, or in the Bible provided in the Pew Rack in front of you, in a lot of them, that'll be on page 922. If Micah 5 is not on page 922 in the Bible in front of you, it should be on page 973. We've put some new Bibles in over the course of time, and so we've got to roll like that. But for a lot of you, page 922, a few of you, page 973. Micah chapter 5. Micah, the Old Testament prophet, is a, is a bit of a unique, if unlikely, text for Christmas. Because Micah is a book that prophesies all about future judgment. And so some of you say, yeah, that fits with my 2016, bring it on. And others of you say, how's that going to be good news? Well, let's dive in and look at this. In all seriousness, this is an incredible text. Micah 5, verses 1 through 5, or the first part of verse 5. It's an incredible text because it anticipates the birth of Christ because right in the middle of a promise of coming judgment is a promise of future peace through the coming of Christ. To give you a little context about what's happening in Micah's time, the book of Micah was written around 700 B.C. And so here's what Micah the prophet sees happening in Israel at that time, at 700 B.C. Business and commerce appeared, uh, appeared to be going well. The nation, the country, was free from war and conflict with neighboring nations at that time. But behind the scenes, the core was rotten. The rich were oppressing the poor. Bribery and extortion were commonplace in government and in business. And even the priests and teachers were given over to corruption. Corruption within even the ranks of the people of God. And the book of Micah is actually God saying through Micah, his prophet, to Israel, you've done this, 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 and this. And you may have fooled those around you. You may have even fooled yourselves. But I see. I see it all. You see, Israel had this problem, and tell me if it sounds like a problem that was unique to them. They had this problem where, where they uh, presented one thing on the outside of what's going on with Israel. Everything looks great. Uh, we're at peace. Business seems to be going well. Everything's good. That's presenting one thing. But then on the inside, things are a little different. Things are starting to unravel a little, a little bit. Things are starting to fall apart. And that's not unique to them, is it? So much of us in our lives today, we want to make things look better than what they really are. We want to present a, perhaps a false sense of reality. Look at social media. There's life as I actually know it, and then there's life as I show it to my 300 Instagram followers. What about Christmas cards? I like Christmas cards. I enjoy receiving Christmas cards. 
Amanda and I, we don't send them out personally, mainly because we don't have kids or a dog, and so it would be inhumane for me to send you a big picture of myself uh, saying Merry Christmas. But I like Christmas cards. I enjoy receiving them. I received a few this Christmas season. But I have yet to receive a Christmas card that says, you know, it's got the family picture, it's got the update, and it says, little Jimmy learned how to play the violin this year, and then dot, 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 dot. Also, mom and dad can't stand each other and haven't had a respectable conversation in months. You don't put that part in the card, do you? No, because that's not the reality or the picture that we want to present. But you know, the crazy thing about Micah 5 is that amidst God presenting the true reality of what's happening, laying out charges against Israel, having this kind of one-sided, heart-to-heart conversation between him and Israel, God says, and here's how I'm going to respond. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send rescue and I'm going to send redemption to you in the form of my very own Son. So read with me verses 1 and 2 of Micah 5, if you're looking at it with me. Micah 5, verse 1 begins, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. See, verse 1 is a prophecy that Israel will be invaded due to her corruption and her rebellion against God. And this prophecy, history tells us, would actually come to fruition about 130 years later. And because of this corruption, because of this rebellion against God, eventually Israel's ruler, her king, will be cut down, as verse 1 says. But then, strangely, Verse 2 is a prophecy of another ruler coming, a king coming out of tiny Bethlehem. You have to ask, why this prophecy right here, right now, in this book all about coming judgment? Verse 1 is a prophecy that Israel be invaded, but then strangely, verse 2 is a prophecy of this other king coming. And I think the reality here, as the prophecy of the birth of Christ is laid out, it tells us something about Israel at that time, but it also tells us something about ourselves today, and it tells us something about Christmas. And here's what that is. Christmas, the coming of Christ, is God telling you and me and Israel in 700 B.C. and telling our world itself that He has us figured out. He sees the facade that we build and that we want others to see. He also sees the brokenness. He sees our helplessness. He sees our tears. He sees our mourning. He sees our grief. For some of you, he sees your 2016s. He sees the misery, the pain. Ultimately, he sees our sin. And he says, yeah, this world is messed up, and you're messed up. And here's how I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this by coming myself and entering into your world. And the coming of Christ is where God takes on flesh and enters into this messed up world 
in order that he can begin the work of caring for and addressing not the facade that we've presented, but the reality of what's going on. Not only in the world all around us, but in us as well. And so as we consider the coming of Christ, and we consider his life here on earth, one, one pastor, as I was preparing this, he, he made note of this, and he pointed out that Christ himself took on flesh, and he was born in a scandalous pregnancy. His family immediately became immigrant refugees. He was raised in a lower class family in a bad neighborhood. Eventually, at some point, his father Joseph, or his stepfather Joseph, whatever you want to call him, Joseph, passed away, and his mom was widowed. As he aged and entered into adulthood, he dealt with homelessness. He was conspired against by the authorities. He was unjustly arrested and incarcerated. He was abandoned and betrayed by his closest friends. He became public enemy number one. He was innocent of all charges, yet he was publicly and shamefully executed. In taking on human flesh, he came in order that he might know your sorrows and your pain. As God in the flesh, he can weep with you. And as God in the flesh, He can wipe your tears away. Going on in Micah chapter 5, we read in verse 3 that there's going to be time. We don't know what we know now about 700 years that unfolded between this prophecy and the actual coming birth of Christ all of which is within God's sovereign will and timing. If you read verse 3, it says, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. What happens at the conclusion of those 700 years? After verse 3 is fulfilled, we'll scroll over to the right to Matthew chapter 2. It's on page 956. In the Pew Bible in front of you. On a few others, it's on page 1008. But Matthew chapter 2, and you hear this about the account of the birth of Christ from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, quoting from Micah 5, and then it says in verse 6 of Matthew 2, quoting that, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Has that ever struck you as odd? Why was Herod of the Roman Empire threatened by a little baby boy born to a teenage girl in tiny Bethlehem. Herod, who has the full force of the Roman Empire at his back, threatened by a little baby boy born in a manger. 
Why was this prophecy of Micah given to Israel to hang on to for hundreds of years? Hundreds of years in which we know that everything about their life, everything about their country, everything about their nation is going to begin to unravel, is going to begin to fall apart. And yet they're given this prophecy to hang on to. To hold them as they, to sustain them as life falls apart around them. Why do Christians all over the globe, even today, celebrate the birth of this little baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? And last question, why even are we here today? The answer lies not simply in the birth of a little baby in a manger, although it does. The answer lies chiefly and fully in the promise of a coming king. So as we survey our world around us, Aleppo, ISIS, racial and ethnic hostilities, Zika, cancer, 10,000 other illnesses, both physical and mental, anxiety, strained and broken relationships, downtrodden feelings, concerns about not all that has just transpired in 2016, but also worries about what 2017 may hold. All of this are just a taste of the fact that we live in a Micah 5 world ourselves. But Christmas, the birth of this little baby, is the promise of a Micah 5 king who has come and he will reign. You see, Micah 5 and verse 1 had the prophecy of Israel's king getting killed due to Israel's sin, due to their rebellion against God. Now Christ has come to be the king who gave his life for our sin. But that's not the end of the story. This king experienced death as a man, but three days later, this king that we celebrate his birth defeated death because he is God. And so when we celebrate that birth in Bethlehem, we celebrate the birth, we celebrate the establishment, the coming of a kingdom in which we look forward to the promise that there will be no more grief or loss. There will be no more pain or hurt. Why? Because we will be with our king who has come. And if you look back at Micah 5, verses 4 and 5, we read joyfully, we read confidently as people receiving this prophecy of coming judgment, yet verses 4 and 5 stand out and scream to them, this King who will come, what will He fully and finally and completely and ultimately do? Verse 4, He will stand and shepherd His flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace. Two thousand sixteen might be the most unlikely of times that you would give consideration to Christ and His coming. And yet in this unlikely time, perhaps you and your life, you know your situation, you know your circumstances, you know where you find yourself. Perhaps you find yourself in a foreign, unlikely place.
place. A place full of fear, a place full of concern, a place full of I don't know what is next. And yet in an unlikely time, in an unlikely place, perhaps this is the time you need to look in faith upon Christ. Look to a dirty manger and a tiny little village known as Bethlehem and see that he is good at showing up when and where you least expect him. You see, in that manger in tiny little Bethlehem, God entered human history. We don't dress up and we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, take time out of our busy schedules and we don't do all of this just for the formality of it or I hope we don't do it for the formality of it. Personally, there are a lot of things I'd rather be wearing than a tie that's choking me to death and standing in front of a lot of you potentially making a fool of myself. But what we do is we do this to celebrate the coming of God entering into human history. And brothers and sisters, as we consider the coming of Christ, May I submit to you that if your picture of Christmas is just the manger scene, your idea of Christmas is too small. It's on the right track, but it's too small. Our hope as followers of Christ, the hope for all who are in Christ, lies, yes, in the past coming of Christ, but also in the future return of our King. We have no need to dread what our tomorrow may hold, even though it may be full of uncertainty. Because we know with full certainty, from Micah 4 and 5, we know with full certainty what an eternity's worth of tomorrows do hold. Our king will stand and shepherd his flock and we will dwell securely in his kingdom and he will be our peace. Is there anything greater that we could celebrate at this time of year? Is there anything greater that we could celebrate throughout the whole year Whatever we may be facing, our King has come, and we look forward confidently to His coming again and bringing us to Himself. Let's pray. Oh, what a King! What a Savior! A baby born in a manger. Come to lay the world upon his shoulders. Come to atone for our sin. And come to give us life in him. Lord, give us joy to consider this truth this Christmas season. And to joyfully celebrate the one who has come to stand and shepherd his flock. And the one who is our peace. Christ the Lord the one born in Bethlehem. It's in his name we pray. Amen.